read that together, reading it out loud, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. Uh, likely some, Lord, are at home dealing with sickness, others traveling. I pray that you'd minister to their hearts. But Lord, we thank you for each one that's here. Thank you, Lord. You blessed us with visitors this morning. And I pray that you would uh, speak to their hearts in a special way. Help us as we continue to look at this little letter of Third John. Teach us, may something here be practical and helpful and make us the better for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, we know that 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all are written by the Apostle John. We know that John wrote these late in his life. So it's very possible that John is 70 to 80 years of age when John is writing these things. He has plenty of experience as a Christian and a church leader by the time he has written these things. There is a clear difference between 2 John and 3 John. 2 John was written to an unnamed Christian lady. 3 John was written to a named Christian man. 2 John was written to a local church and this woman in that church. 3 John was written to a different local church and this named man in that church. 2 John, the issue was this Christian woman in that church was so hospitable that she was hospitable to the wrong people. Let me explain that. You know, in our town, as well as in any town, there are people that go door to door that represent some kind of faith. We know that our church goes door to door. We know that there are JWs that go door to door. We know that there are Mormons that go door to door. And uh, it's true today, but even more so in that first century, that there were people that were going door to door, and they were promoting a false doctrine. They did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They did not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. So they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And uh, yet this woman in Second John, she was so hospitable that she opened her door to everyone that came. She was kind to everyone that came. And John heard about that. And John said, you cannot open your door to those that are promoting a false doctrine. In fact, he said, you not only can't open your door to them, you can't even bid them Godspeed. And so the equivalent today would be, <coughs> excuse me, the equivalent today would be if uh, I suppose a JW knocked on your door. And uh, in short order, you would find that uh, they, JWs incidentally do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You press them, they'll, believe, they'll say that they believe Jesus is a 
son of God, just like you and I that have trusted Christ are a son of God. But they wouldn't put Jesus as any different than that. They are teaching a false doctrine. If they knock on your door when you open the door and find that that's who they are, the Bible says don't invite them into your house. And don't say, you know what, I hope God gives you a great day. You're not supposed to do that. We saw that in 2 John. Now that we are in 3 John, John writes to another man in another church, and he commends him for being hospitable to those that are teaching the right doctrine. So as much as we're supposed to keep out of our homes the wrong doctrine, we are supposed to welcome the right doctrine. So he is commending this church in 3 John for doing what was right. Uh, we uh, took the first eight verses. In fact, look there in verse number one. Again, we're in 3 John, just to give you a little background so we can catch up where we're at. The elder, verse number one, the elder, that's John, unto the well-beloved Gaius. So there was this man in this church that John is writing to. His name is Gaius, and he loves the Lord. He holds to the truth. He walks in the truth, and John takes the first eight verses of 3 John to commend this man named Gaius. Uh, there is a strong case for the fact that it may be that John was the one that led Gaius to the Lord. Again, John is in an itinerant kind of ministry at this point in his life. So he goes into a church, he preaches, no doubt, he, uh, God helps him to lead lost folks to Christ. He helps him to get faithful in a church, and then John moves to the next town and does his next town. And So it looks like John, when he came to this town, that John was effective in seeing lost people get saved, and one of those that John led to the Lord was Gaius. And so uh, John is now writing to this man Gaius, and, and the first eight verses he said, good job, you're, you're living for God, you're walking in the truth, you're standing for what's right, and John says to Gaius, Gaius, and you're opening your door and you are being hospitable to the right kind of people. So again, the first eight verses he talks about Gaius. And wouldn't every church want ten men just like Gaius in their church? In fact, truth is, any church one hundred just like him. He is the model believer. That's Gaius, first eight verses. As soon as we get to verse 9, look there in Third John verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but, well, as soon as you see that word, but, we've, we've been reminded of that the last number of months. That word, but, in any sentence, turns the direction of the thought 180 degrees the other way. So he is now bragged, if you would, in a good way, on this man named Gaius, and all of a sudden he talks about another person in this church. Look at it, see what it says, verse number 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Say, Pastor, what's happening here? It seems that John wrote to this church. That's why he said in verse 9, I wrote unto the church. Um, it seems that John the elder, John the apostle, wrote to this church and said, guess what? Good news, I'm coming. I'm coming your way soon, whether it's a few weeks, few months, I'll be there. I, 
I've got with me a number of other missionary uh, with me. Just like Paul traveled with Silas and, and with Luke and with Timothy, it seems that John traveled with some other uh, ministers of God. And so in this first letter, John says, you know what, church, I'm coming to visit. I'm coming to re-greet those that I've led to the Lord. I'm coming, and I can hardly look forward. I, I can hardly wait. Diotrephes gets this letter. Diotrephes' character is, look at me. <laughs> That's all that was important to Diotrephes. Uh, we saw last week, folks, that our attitude should be, look at God. But not this man. This man's attitude is, look at me. And so, again, when Diotrephes got this letter from John, and when John said, soon I'll be coming, and, and soon I'll be bringing some other ministers with me, and uh, we're going to get to meet your church that we love so much, and, and we're going to get to meet those in the church that maybe we led to the Lord, and and uh, we're anxious for it, and I'm sure your church people are anxious for it. When Diotrephes got that letter, he said nothing to him. No way. I'm not letting those people come. Why, Pastor? Uh, we can only imagine that he got jealous of the love that his people had for this man, John. Look again at verse 9. Verse number 9 says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So somewhere he made it very clear, John, you're not welcome. John, you can't come. John, I don't want you. I don't want your fellow workers. Look what John said in response to the treatment he had from Diotrephes. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. John says, I'll remember that. <laughs> John says, when I come to the church, I'll have to deal with that. That's diatrophies. Do you understand why I now say any church would like a hundred just like Gaius? But any church doesn't want one like diatrophies. If you were with us, we, I, I preached on that. And you know, sometimes, sometimes pastors are accused of being a doctrophes. And they say if a pastor stands up and is militant and won't budge on the, on the stand of the work of God, he's got to be a doctrophes. That You don't understand doctrophes. If doctrophes was keeping sin out of the church, he'd have been a good man. If Diotrephes was keeping compromise out of the church, he'd have been a good man. If Diotrephes was trying to hold back those that would change the church, Diotrephes would have been a good man. But Diotrephes was trying to keep the Apostle John out. Diotrephes was trying to keep that old-fashioned influence out. Diotrephes was pushing an entirely different direction. If you remember last week, I said this, Paul, the longer that he was saved, Paul's estimation of himself before God was lower and lower and lower. 
Paul said there in 1 Corinthians that I'm the least of the apostles. Well, you and I would probably argue with that. We would probably say that Paul was just about the greatest, but not Paul. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. Just a little bit later, Paul said, I'm less than the least of all saints. Do you understand that's getting more humble? And then finally, Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Do you know, Paul's estimation of himself before a holy God became less and less and less because in his estimation, God became more and more and more. And yet, with Paul's humble spirit, Paul wasn't a pushover in the churches that he, that he influenced. He wasn't a doormat to everybody that wanted to come along and do things, change things. Again, if you're accusing somebody of being a Dotrephes, it better be true that the Dotrephes is trying to hold back, or sorry, trying to oppose that old-fashioned influence. So in the church, there's a Gaius. And in the church, there's a Dotrephes. Well, look there at verse number 12. Demetrius. Well, now this is a new man, Demetrius. Pastor, who is that? You know, I'm going to preach this morning. I'm going to preach on this subject. Uh, Following. Look at verse 11. Maybe it'll all make sense. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. What's Paul's, uh, Paul? What's John saying? Remember this whole letter John is writing to Gaius. And John said, Gaius, in your church there are two different influences. One of the influences is this Dotrephes. He said, you don't want to follow that. You don't want him to be your example. You don't want to duplicate Dotrephes. Pastor, who's the other example? Well, knowing that he's writing to Gaius, Gaius is following the Apostle John. Do you know in life, we constantly are making decisions who we will follow and how important it is who we follow. So again, I'm preaching on this simple word tonight, uh, this morning, following uh, look there, first of all, in verse number 11. Second, or sorry, third John, verse number 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Do you notice John is telling Gaius that he has to make a decision? John is telling Gaius that he has to make a choice in his life. He said, Gaius, uh, you're going to have to choose to follow someone, or you're going to have to choose to follow something. Either you're going to follow that which is good, or you're going to follow that which is evil. Pastor, what if Gaius didn't want to follow either? What if he didn't want to follow good, and what if he didn't want to follow evil? Do you know according to verse 11, there is no middle ground? There is no compromise? Uh, Could I say this morning, if you're taking notes about this subject of following, I would notice, have you noticed, that uh, there is the decision in following. There is the decision in following. It's never if we'll follow. The decision is who we'll follow. Um, I'm 62. If you are over 50, and I think that would be a few of us this morning, If you were over 50, then you may remember back in the 70s and 80s, 
Now, if you're saying I wasn't even born then, then you won't remember it. Did you know back in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of churches that were starting Christian schools. How many kind of remember that, 70s and 80s? Uh, it was a big thing back in the 70s and 80s, and, and Christians uh, and churches uh, came to the conclusion, we don't want the public school to influence our children. Uh, we want to be in control of who influences our children. So uh, many churches started Christian schools. Well, if you remember back then, then you know that uh, they implemented a curriculum that they would follow, and they also uh, they implemented a uniform. I have taught in Christian schools for a number of years, and I remember the uniform for students when I was teaching in a Christian school, the boys wore blue pants and a white shirt and a blue tie, and that was their uniform. And uh, the young ladies, students in the school, they wore a blue skirt and a white blouse and most times a blue sweater. Uh, that was the uniform. And, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't have to decide. That was just part and parcel of the Christian school that they went to. Uh, you may be familiar with different school, and they might, but it was, it, was, it was expected that they wear this. And so how many of them, uh, if they walked to their school, uh, they, they'd all look the same. And you know what the world said about that? <laughs> the, the worldly teens that went to the public school, they just laughed. They said, you could never get me to wear those things. They are wearing those things because they'd made to. Never would I ever wear those things. And yet if you looked at those worldly teens at a bus stop waiting for their bus, they're all wearing blue jeans. They all had tennis shoes that weren't laced up. Most of them were a t-shirt with some worldly logo, and some of them had a ball cap on sideways. They didn't pick that. They didn't come up with that. They were following somebody. Do you understand, first of all, the decision in following isn't if I follow somebody. The decision in following is who I will follow. Folks, everybody patterns themselves after somebody. So it's not if you're going to be a follower. The decision in following is who you are going to be a follower of. Uh, what those public school kids didn't realize is it, uh, their decision never was if I'll follow, it's who I'll follow. Uh, do you remember the Old Testament prophet Elijah? Here in 1 Kings chapter 18, he, he said to those Jewish people, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I'm saying to you that uh, there, it wasn't if I follow, it's who I follow. Do you know, it, it used to be, now again, I know I'm going 50 years back. I understand that. But you know what used to be when I was a kid? That is a little while back. When I was a kid, you know what? Every kid wanted to be just like their parents. Every boy wanted to be like his dad. Every girl wanted to be like her mom. Every boy wanted to be able to do what his dad did. Every girl wanted to do what their mom did. They were following the example of their parents. But you know, as time progressed, and, and it was mainly the influence of television, all of a sudden, these children who now became teenagers, they were no longer interested in following the example of dad. They were no longer interested in following the example of mom. 
Now some Hollywood stars, some Hollywood starlet, they wanted to be just like that. Uh, we see it today, and if you do it, don't even grin, and I won't know it's you. But we see these boys that have these ball caps on sideways, or have these ball caps turned right around. They didn't come with that, up with that. They're repeating what someone else saw, and they thought, man, that'd be neat. <laughs> They're following somebody. Uh, we, uh, we notice uh, girls are putting on clothes that were either too tight or too transparent or, or look like some tiger that just, just ripped uh, stretches across them. I saw someone dressed like that yesterday at a yard sale. Forgive me. At a yard sale. And uh, I thought, my, it, it, they're just following somebody. That's all that they're doing. Uh, I don't do it here, and I wouldn't do it here, but there was a time where boys had their crotch of their pants like there. They, they couldn't walk very fast because they couldn't spread. And, you know, they thought this is so cool. They were following somebody. Uh, there was a time where, where girls, uh, the bangs of their hair would be, you know, covering their eyes. Uh, we used to call them sheepdogs. And they thought that was so neat. They're just following someone's example. Look at the verse again. 3 John, verse 11. 3 John, verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is good, uh, sorry, that which is evil, but that which is good. I, I say very first thing we see is the decision of following. You know, Jesus said, for I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Jesus knew that believers will follow somebody. And Jesus said, follow me. Paul wrote, be followers of me. Paul understood that we follow. The question is who we follow. Uh, you don't need to ask uh, if you are following someone because everybody follows someone. Who do you follow? I give you a second thing that we learn about this following. Again, the first is the decision of following. It's not if, it's who. It's who. Look at the second thing, if you would, also verse number 11. The Bible says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Do you know the second detail as John is writing to this man, Gaius? John realizes you can't follow both. You either follow that which is good, or, 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 or you follow that which is evil. Do you know you can't go both ways? Could I say, and I'm giving you D's about following, the first one is the decision of following. Could I give you a second detail about following is the departure by following. The departure. In other words, if you decide, I'm going to follow that which is good, it will then take you away from that path which is evil. You are departing from one path when you take the other path. I'll, Pastor, I'm going to do both. You can't do both. You're either going to follow one path or you're going to follow another path. John says to Gaius, you can't follow both. If you choose to follow evil, then that choice will lead you against the path of good. On the other hand, if you choose to follow the path of good, then that will lead you away from the path of evil. Gaius, your choice is one of two. Keep your hand there in Third John. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to be right back to 3 John, don't lose it, but Matthew chapter number 6. Uh, we're talking secondly about the departure by following. Pastor, I just don't understand why that uh, Christian teen, that Christian man, that Christian why would why would they get involved in that? Uh, 
Well, one day they took a path. They took a choice. They made a choice. And when they took that path, it took them away from the other path. Look there, if you would, in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 24. Matthew 6, verse 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Do you know the context of Jesus' statement is found back there in verse 18? Look there in verse 18. Our Lord uh, says uh, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Then look at verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. You know what Jesus was saying? And the context is... Either you're going to invest your all on the things of this earth or you're going to invest in things of heaven. He said you can't do both. Something has got to become the higher priority. As Christians, if you decide, you know what, I just want my nest egg here, that's a choice. <laughs> but you can't have it here and there. And if you decide I'm going to invest all that I have in that which is eternal, that's a choice. But if you decide that, then you're not going to get everything that this world has to offer. I'm saying there is a departure in following. You pick that, you're going to depart from that. If you pick that, you're going to depart from that. Again, back there, if you would, to uh, Third John. Uh, we say uh, the departure by following. When you choose one, it'll exclude you from another. Do you know what a turmoil that many Christians find themselves in? Because they want the best of this earth, and they also want the best of heaven. Something has to give. Something has to be sacrificed. Some saints don't want to pick in that, and they don't want to play favorites in that. When a Christian decides, who am I going to follow? then uh, either those going God's way or those going the world's way, that choice will eventually lead you away from the other path. You know, some people think that the course of heaven and the course of earth are parallel lines. They're not parallel lines. Some people think whether I choose heaven or choose the earth, if I'm a Christian, they are converging lines. You know, the truth is, the course of heaven and the course of earth are diverging lines. And somewhere you make a choice. And eventually it'll take you further and further and further away from that other path you could have chosen. Most of you know I have an older brother. I have an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother lives in Winnipeg. My younger sister lives in North Carolina. We all grew up in the same home. We all, all three of us had the same parents. All three of us attended the same church when we were teenagers. When I was 16, God got a hold of my heart. I remember saying to God, God, you've got all of me, whatever you want, wherever it go, wherever it takes me. God, you've got it all. I told my brother about that 
choice. He's two and a half years older, so I was 16, he was 18 and a half. He just laughed. He said, you are wasting your life. Now remember, we're in the same home, have the same parents, attended the same church. So at that moment that I made that decision, you couldn't see too much of a difference. Push the clock forward 10 years. In 10 years, I was 26, and he was 28. By that time, I graduated from Bible college. I was faithful in my church, waiting for God to open a door. When he was 28, he was making big bucks, big money. And he called me up and he said, what are you doing in life? I said, graduated from Bible college, just waiting for God to open the door. He just laughed. He said, you're wasting your life. But you know, already within 10 years, there was a great separation. Put it forward 10 more years. Now, I am 36 and he's 38. By this time, I'm pastoring a church. By this time, everything that he owns in life is in a little beat-up suitcase. He's staying in someone's basement furnace room. He's on a borrowed cot. His suitcase is under that cot. He called me up and he said, what are you doing in life? <laughs> I said, well, thank God I'm a pastor of a church. God has so blessed us. I said, what are you doing in life? And he said, you know what? Everything that I thought was worth living for in this world, I've lost it all. Well, now push it forward another 20 years. You couldn't get that brother of mine into the house of God. You couldn't get him in church. You couldn't get him to make some promises to God. What am I saying? I'm saying in this decision of Following. It might look today when you make that decision like there's really not much of a difference between you and someone else. But you just give it time. Those two paths go further and further and further apart. Uh, we're looking at following, and we've seen the decision of following. It's never if we follow, it's who we follow. Uh, we've seen, secondly, the departure by following. When you pick one, it'll eventually lead you away from the others. Uh, you probably remember Moses there up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And while he was up there, Aaron made this golden calf. And how many of those Jews stripped off their clothes and began to dance around that calf. Moses came down and he was furious. Uh, he looked at Aaron, how could you? And Aaron made up an excuse for it. And that day, Moses stood up before all of that nation. And he said, who is on the Lord's side? Step forward. And you know, if you read that sometime, uh, you will find in Exodus 32 that there was one tribe of those 12 tribes that stepped forward. And that tribe that stepped forward said, we're on the Lord's side. 
We'll stand for him. And you know, Moses said, if you're going to take a stand for him, he said, take out your swords. And he said, all these that have been involved in immorality, that's play, all of these, you need to kill them. Now, that's pretty drastic. That's pretty, and so they did. Do you know who that tribe was? Anyone know who that tribe was? That's the Levite tribe. Do you know in Exodus 32, the Levites were no different than any other tribe? But because they were willing to take their stand for good and take their stand against bad, my, what God did with that tribe. And the rest of the Old Testament, that tribe was the tribe that God blessed. I'm saying to you, we've seen the decision of following. It's not if you follow, it's who. We've seen, secondly, the departure by following. When you choose a path of good, it will lead you away from the path of bad. And if you pick the path of bad, it'll lead you away from the path of good. I give you a third thing that we learn here, if you would, uh, back there in 3 John. Incidentally, and I've given this illustration before, but so many Christians, they, they, they don't want to pick. Uh, they, they want to be friends with everybody. Uh, it's told that back in the Civil War, that's the United States, that was the North against the South. Uh, it's said that in the Civil War there was a soldier and he didn't want to choose sides. Uh, he, uh, if he, was, uh, he didn't want to choose if he was going to fight for the North, that was called the Union, or fight for the South, that was called the Rebels. So he decided to put on the pants of the north and the coat of the south. He figured, I'll make everybody happy. And you know what happened? The north shot him in the, in the jacket and the south shot him in the pants. There's no middle ground, folks. You are going to have to decide. So, okay, I'll, I'll decide. Be careful. When you decide, it's going to cause you to depart from the other side. I give you a third thing that we learned here about this uh, decision of following. Look there in 3 John verse 11. 3 John 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Keep reading. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Notice, uh, it, it, at first reading, it looks like the first half of verse 11 is completely removed from the second. It, it almost looks like they're two different thoughts and could have been two different verses. Now, we don't mess with the Bible, but it, it looks like that. But it's not at all. Do you know the decision you make in the first half will determine what you will be doing in short order in the second half? Look at it again, verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Why? John, why is that so important? Because he that doeth good. Do you know the first part says if you follow good, it won't be long before you are doing good. The flip side is if you follow evil, it won't be long before you do evil. If you're taking notes, we uh, have already seen the, uh, uh, the decision of following. Secondly, the departure by following. 
Uh, but third is the deception about following. There, there's a deception. You say, oh, preacher, what's the deception? Uh, the choice uh, wasn't, do you want to do good? That's the second part of verse 11. The choice is who you're going to follow. And who you follow will determine what you do. I mean, let me say that again. The, the, the choice is never, do you want to do good? The choice is who you're going to follow. And when you pick who you're going to follow, that will determine what you do. Some Christians say, I'm going to do right, but I'm just going to still stay friends with my worldly buddies. That's a deception. Because the crowd that you follow is going to determine what you do. Uh, some would say this, well, I'm going to keep going to church three times a week, but I'm going to stay friends with my non-church-attending friends. That's a deception. The crowd that you follow is going to determine what you do. Say, so, you know, preacher, I'm going to pick what I do. No, your friends are going to change what you do. Uh, somebody says, well, you know, I'm going to sing the old-fashioned hymns when I'm at church, but I'm going to keep those old worldly friends with rock music and country music. You are deceived. The crowd that you choose to follow is going to determine what you do. Uh, do you remember the simple invitation? Remember, we find it in Matthew 4, and we won't turn to it for sake of time, but one day early in Jesus' public ministry, Jesus walks by two fishermen, Peter and Andrew. And the two words that Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, do you remember what the two words were? Follow me. Stop right there. That's all he said. Follow me. Now we know what the rest of the verse is. The rest of the verse is, and I will make you fishers of men. Their decision wasn't, do you want to become a fisher of men? Their decision is, do you want to follow Christ? And he said, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. They didn't have to decide the fisher of men business. All they had to decide is if they would follow Christ. Now, folks, I know this is so simple, but when you decide who you follow, you can't pick what you will do down the path of who you follow. When you decide who you will follow, that picks what you will do the further you go down that path. I'm saying to you, it's a deception to believe that you can pick your crowd and then still determine what you'll do. The choice that Peter and Andrew were presented with so simple, either follow Christ or don't follow Christ. If they decided to follow Christ, they would become fishers of men if they decided not to follow Christ, they would not become fishers of men. And isn't it true that there are some believers who are deceived into thinking, I can go the way of the world, but I can still pick and choose the things that this world does. 
And if I ever sour on what this world does, I can say, Lord, I'm so sorry, forgive me, and it'll all be fixed. It won't all be fixed. I say the third thing we find is the deception about following. You really think Samson decided he was going to have his hair cut off, decided he was going to have his eyes plucked out, decided he was going to sell his soul to a woman named Delilah. Samson didn't pick that. Samson just picked the company that he'd keep. And the company that he kept brought him to that place. He didn't pick that. He picked the company. Folks, the crowd that you need to follow is the God-loving, the Bible-reading, the prayer sending, the gospel dispersing, that's the crowd that you and I need to pick. Because that will determine what we'll be doing in a matter of time. Uh, the old-time preachers, they always preached against drinking. And they'd say, don't take a drink. Don't take a drink. And, and, and Christians would say, well, taking a drink? I can't see anything wrong with that. Well, the old-timers used to say this. You take a drink, they'll say this. A man takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes a man. There is no one that slept in the back alley of our city or Winnipeg under a piece of cardboard that picked to do that. They picked their crowd. And their crowd eventually took them to that place. Do you know why I'm saying to you there's the deception about following? Uh, Genesis 34, we won't turn to it. Uh, Genesis 34, we read uh, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. That daughter's name was Dinah. One day Dinah, for whatever reason, said, I'm going to go take a stroll <laughs> down in Hivite territory. That's Philistines. Well, Dinah, you, you got to, this is Canaanite territory. Why would you do that? Well, I just want to know. We're not told why. We're, we're not told what dissatisfaction brewed in her heart. But that Genesis 34, she decided that she was just going to go take a stroll in Philistine territory. Do you know the rest of chapter 34 was an absolute disaster? Somebody took advantage of her. Someone stole her virginity. I'm telling you, before Genesis 34 was done, it was an absolute disaster. You know where it started? She was dissatisfied where she was at. She thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check what else is out there. If you're a Christian, you better be satisfied with what God's given. It may take you down a path that you'll regret the rest of your life. Pastor, I can decide what I know. You can decide your friends, and they will eventually determine what you do. I say we have seen so far, we have seen the decision of follow. It's not if you follow, it's who you follow. Uh, we've seen the departure by following. When you pick one path, it'll lead you away from the other path. Uh, we have seen the deception about following. Our choice of crowd will ultimately determine uh, what we'll do. You know, uh, Moses, when he stood before the nation of Israel, 
a Korah walked up one day. He said, Moses, you take too much upon you. <laughs> Moses didn't want that to begin with. God called him to that place. And so I'm saying you need to pick your crowd and your crowd will eventually determine what you'll do. I give you four things. Look there in 3 John, verse number 10. 3 John, verse number 10, John writes, Wherefore, if I come, talking about coming to that church, I will remember his deeds, that's Diotrephes' deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Uh, again, remember, John is writing to Gaius. John is writing to this good man that's in this good local church. And he wants to do what's right. Gaius has decided to take the path of that which is good. But you know, in spite of the fact that Gaius has made that choice, boy, that verse 9 and 10 talks about some opposition that he had to work his way through to continue down that path. You know, if you decide you're going to follow right and follow good and follow the Bible and follow prayer and follow... If you decide you're going to follow that, it won't be without opposition. It won't be without someone trying to stand you in your way and someone trying to turn you a different way. That's what Diotrephes was doing. Gaius had already made the right decision to follow. And here Diotrephes uh, was an influence that he had to deal with I wish it were true that when you decide that you're going to go God's way, that it'll be an easy road and it'll be an unhindered road. But as the Apostle John and Gaius quickly learned, not everybody is going to let you proceed unhindered. And if you'd never read this little epistle of 3 John before, if all you read was the first eight verses of 3 John and read about Gaius, you'd say, man, what a Christian. You'd say, well, that guy, he made the right choice, and just look at him, how he shines and how he bears fruit and what a blessing he was in the church if you only had the eight verses. But as soon as you get to verse 9 verse 10, you realize Gaius didn't proceed down the right path without some kind of opposition. There was someone that's trying to turn him a different direction Diotrephes wanted to keep out the Apostle John from further influencing that church. And that was a faithful John he was trying to keep out. And uh, you know what? Uh, we congratulate Diotrephes if he was trying to keep out wrong. But he was trying to, he was instead trying to keep out right. I give you the fourth thing if you take notes the dissension amidst following. The dissension amidst following. When you decide that you're going to do what's right, there is going to be somebody that stands in that way. Paul wrote this, Galatians 5, 7. He did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? That meant those Galatians wanted to do what's right. And there was an influence, there was a, uh, there was a push to get them off that path that they were taking. There will be dissension and fall. Uh, I got saved in 1972. 
So that means I've been saved 51 years. Pastor, it must have been an easy road. <laughs> you know better than that. If you decided to do what's right and live for God, you know that along that path there has been something, somebody, some pressure to go a different way. Don't let that change your way. Again, the fourth thing we learn is the dissension amidst following. What a grief of heart. All that had, uh, uh, what a grief of heart all that had to be to this man Gaius. Far as he was concerned, just press on, live for God, open your door to those that are teaching the truth, be faithful in church, witness, pray, read your Bible. That's all Gaius wanted. That's all he wanted to do is just live for the Lord. But verse 9 and 10 said it was a little more than that. Do you know God's words warns us the closer we get to Jesus' return, you're going to have to stand solid. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 4.5 But watch thou in all things endure afflictions. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as good soldier of Jesus Christ. I give you the last thing this morning. We're done with this. Look at verse 12. After verse 11, where John has said, Gaius, in spite of all these efforts to change you, just keep following what's right. Just keep following what's good. Look at verse 12. Demetrius. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Demetrius? Who's that? Folks, you've never heard of Demetrius. Now, there is a Demetrius in the book of Acts. That Demetrius was someone that opposed the Apostle Paul. But what we read there in the book of Acts is a good 30 years before what we're reading here. So I don't think they're the same Demetrius. All of a sudden, out of the blue, there's a mention of a man named Demetrius. Pastor, who is this man? Well, you know what, just as much, and I said this already, just as much as Paul had fellow missionaries at work alongside of Paul, he had Silas, and he had Titus, and he had Timothy, just as much as Paul had fellow workers that worked alongside Paul, I'd suggest to you that this Demetrius was a fellow worker with John. So when John had originally written to this church and said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring some other fellow Christians with me, I think Demetrius was one of those fellow Christians. I think Demetrius had proved himself to be a faithful servant of God. And so now, having said that, verse number 12, look at it again. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. Do you remember me saying that John had written a letter to this church? He said, I'm coming, I'm coming with some of my fellow workers. And when Diotrephes got that letter, oh no, he's not. Whether he tore that letter up, whether he wrote back to John and said, you're not welcome, you and your buddies can't come. We know that Diotrephes wanted to prevent 
John and his fellow workers, I'd suggest including this Demetrius. When word got back to John, John wrote another letter. John wrote a second letter to the same, the same church, and that's 3 John. Look again at verse 1. Almost done. 3 John. The elder, he's writing this, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The first letter never really got to that church. When Diotrephes got that first letter that said, I'm coming, bring some fellow workers, rip, 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 rip. So what does John do? John writes a second letter. That second letter is this book of 3 John. John writes this second letter. And he writes, when I come, I'll deal with Diotrephes. He's not going to get away with what he's trying to get away with. And when John finishes writing the 14 verses of 3 John, that's his second letter, John thinks, who am I going to send this letter with? Which of my co-workers can I have take this second letter? And he says, Demetrius, I'd like you to carry it. And he said, Demetrius, when you carry it, don't give it to Diotrephes. He already tore up the first one. Demetrius, you carry it directly to Gaius. You make sure that you put that in Gaius's hand. Look again at verse 1. Verse number 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. So when Gaius finally got this second letter, he opens it up and begins to read about how John is commending Gaius in those first eight verses. But I'm not sure that this church knew Demetrius. He was a fellow worker with John. Maybe they'd never met John. Maybe, the, sorry, maybe they'd never met Demetrius. Look at the high commendation that John gives for this Demetrius. Verse number 12, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. Do you know, maybe, just maybe, this church had never met Demetrius before. But what a recommendation. Here, John says about this Demetrius, he hath a good report of all men. What a statement. What a blessing. Not only that, but he says he hath a good report of the truth itself. Third thing he says, and yea, uh, we also bear record. He said, he's got my John Henry behind him. Could I give you this, and I'm done with this, the delight. Because of following. The delight because of following. Do you know this Demetrius, somewhere he made the decision. Somewhere earlier in his Christian life, this man Demetrius said, I want to go God's way. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be faithful to God. No doubt, Demetrius, in his local church, he proved himself faithful. He participated in everything that he could. 
He was part of every program. He was included in every agenda. And one day, the Apostle John meets Demetrius in his church. Demetrius introduces himself, and John says, tell, tell me about yourself. He said, well, you know what? He said, I can look back to the day I got saved, I got in the church, got faithful to God. And, and John says, Demetrius, I'm so thankful that you made the right choice. Would you consider joining me in missionary ministry? And Demetrius makes another right choice. He said, yeah, I'd like to do that. We don't know how long Demetrius traveled with John. But you know, now it's come to the place where John has to decide, who am I going to send this second letter with? Who can I trust? Who can I have confidence that they will carry this letter to its destination? And he said, I know who I can. Demetrius. Do you know that that is the delight of following? Folks, if you just pick the right path, I warn you that there are those that would try to knock you off that path. But if you just pick the right path, the choice of who you follow will determine what you do. And one day you will bear the fruit and you will have the delight of making the right choice. Demetrius really is, we never read about him before. Could I say to you that who you follow is going to determine what you do? What you do is eventually either going to bring in a truckload of fruit. It all started with who you follow. Some of you would know radio Bible class. You'd recognize that. The man that headed that up was M.R. DeHaan, old-fashioned preacher. When M.R. DeHaan was ready to pass on he really passed the baton of the radio Bible class to his son, M.R. DeHaan II. M.R. DeHaan II tells this true story. He talked about a man who was a car dealer, car salesman. And you and I know that all car salesmen aren't honest. Maybe in your life you bought a car with somebody that promised it was everything and in short order, you found that car was nothing. This car salesman was a Christian man. And this car salesman had rubbed shoulders with all kinds of other car salesmen. Some of them said, you can, if you say it just this way, and if you stand just this way, and if you smile at just the right time, you can sell, eventually you can sell anything to anybody. But they told him, you know, once in a while you're going to have to cut a corner to do it. And once in a while you're going to have to kind of fudge the numbers to, to make the sale. So this car salesman, he rubbed shoulders with dishonest salesmen. But he also rubbed shoulders with an old salesman who said, you need to be honest and transparent with everything that you do. And this young salesman said, yeah, but if I do that, I might not make a sale. 
He said, this business is more than just making a sale. And so that young salesman had a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to talk fast, shuffle some numbers to make another sale? Or I'm going to follow that old salesman's example and advice and be transparent with all that I do. Well, he decided he was going to do the honest way. One day, there was a foreign student that came into his car dealership. This is a true story. Foreign student, a uh, uh, college student came into his car dealership, and he introduced himself, and, and he could tell this foreign student, a little limited in his language, didn't know English quite as well. He asked him what kind of vehicle he was looking for, and, and the car salesman said, well, we've got a couple that fit your description. He said, you could buy this one, we could sell it for that price. You could buy this one, we could sell it for that price. And that, uh, that foreign student said, which one do you think would be a better purchase? He now had a choice. And he said, you know what, personally, I, I wish you'd buy that one. But he said, this would be a better car. This will have more life to it. I can make a better profit on that one if I sold that to you, but this, this will do you better. And so that foreign student said, then I'll buy that one. And the man wrote all the sale thing up and sold it to him. As that guy drove off with that car, the, the, the salesman thought, well, I could have made a faster buck. Do you know years, 15 years passed, and that foreign student that bought that car after 15 years, that man became the sole purchasing agent for the Iranian Contractors Association. He was now a purchasing agent. And to show his gratitude for this honest salesman, he gave that salesman a multi-million dollar order for 750 dump trucks and 350 pickups, pickup trucks. Why? He chose the right path. God was going to bless him for it. Someone walked up to the salesman later and said, what do you think about that? He said, that's, that's more than an $1,100 time profit margin. He said, I'm so glad that I made the right choice early in my career. Folks, we all make choices. It's not if we follow, it's who we follow. When you take one path, it'll take you away from the other path. You can't pick both paths. I'm saying to you, when you pick God's path, God will bless you for it. There will be voices that try to get you off God's path. Stay on his path. And you will reap many fold for doing what God says is right.